Hello and welcome. You're listening to No Lasting City, probably the second best podcast in the world. I'm Matthew Johnston and with me today is Andrew Young and Young Toby. This podcast is a ministry of Riverbend Bible Church and our goal is to distract you from the mundane and to ravish your minds with the glory of God manifested in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our guest today is Tim Challies, a familiar name to many of you. We're so thankful that Tim's able to join us here. Tim is husband to Aileen and father of two girls and one son who is waiting for Tim and his family in heaven's glory. Tim serves as an elder at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and is the author of uh, a number of books and his well-known website, challies.com. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on No Lasting City podcast today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Tim, I think a great way to begin would just be to simply ask you, what have you been up to lately? We love asking our guests that question. Sure, yeah. Uh, With a new book coming out, I've been up to a lot of preparation for it, Um, just gearing up for a lot of interviews and other things that will be coming up over the next few weeks. And uh, already starting to think about future writing projects. I've got a uh, one project underway, which is a graphic novel on the life of Eric Little that's still in the very early stages, but uh, working on that. I'm doing the writing for it, not the drawing for it, to be clear. And then, yeah, just thinking about future books and future writing projects. And then conferences are back on now that the world's opened up a little bit post-COVID. And so just starting to get some conference invites and sort through some of that. So always lots going on, serving the local church for my family etc wonderful so when is this uh, new book seasons of sorrow mm-hmm. uh, when is that released officially released on September 13th wonderful and that'll be available uh, certainly at challies.com and any place you can find good Christian books I can imagine I would imagine so eventually yeah, I think it's a little delayed shipping out from the publisher or something but before too long it should be wherever good books are sold, as they say. As we transition into Seasons of Sorrow, um, I guess some of our listeners won't know what the the season of sorrow is that uh, you've faced. Uh, So would you be able to just briefly uh, explain to us what what brought about the the book? Yeah, certainly, yeah. Um, November of 2020, we received very unexpected news that uh, my son, he was a seminary student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the United States, the state of Kentucky, that he had collapsed and died, completely unknown to us. He had some sort of a heart condition that had been undiagnosed, still is undiagnosed, but uh, quite simply his heart stopped beating and he went to be with the Lord. And we never imagined such a thing could happen, that a healthy young man could um, just, just literally fall down dead in an instant and yet the Lord saw fit to take him and that uh, that moment was when we were ushered into this this time of deep loss and deep sorrow. Mm. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, was, I spent some time last night just reading through a, a bunch of your articles that um, you had tagged your, your son in and one I found particularly helpful was um, is it okay to be, be angry with God? Um, and so you've, you've written a lot of devotions out of that, um, and I think there was some wise counsel as well. For someone else who's going through similar tragedy, uh, what hope is there for, for those who have 
they're feeling hopeless. Yeah, so I think when we go through deep losses, deep tragedies, we often can think there is there is no hope. And I think often the feeling that there's no hope comes out of the feeling that there's no meaning to what's going on. That it's just some random occurrence or something's gone wrong in the world or God's lost control or Satan's taken over the reins or something. And we tend to think hopeless thoughts because we think meaningless thoughts. But so we look to scripture, we see a God who is sovereign and a God who is good and a God who truly loves his people. And uh, I think if we really focus on the character of God, what God reveals of himself, uh, we see that there is nothing that's ultimately hopeless because there's nothing that's ultimately meaningless. And so there is meaning in our pain, there is meaning in our sorrows, there is meaning in our losses. Um, I think part of the way we, we respond to that is to um, to realize that there's always something we can do. There's always a way we can honor and serve God through our sorrows. And um, so God calls us to do something with our sorrows, not to abandon hope, not to fall away, not to walk away from Him, but to, um, even in our sorrows, to love God and to serve one another. And uh, that, I think, brings great meaning to our losses, and we entrust them to God, and uh, lay them in his hands, and then just go on to, to love and serve him all the more. So you'd, you'd point people, rather than looking away from the the pain and, and the suffering, but to look through it and to see Christ and God um, orchestrating it and carrying you through it? Yeah, I, I think ultimately we have to see that even our deepest losses, the, the there's nobody who's taken power away from God or who's trumped God's power. And so in some way, all of these things are God's will for us. Uh, the death of a child doesn't happen apart from God's will. It wasn't a mistake. It was uh, within the realm of God's sovereignty, his providence, his plan, his care, his will. And so that allows us then to really entrust, entrust these things to him, not to fight him, not to think he's done something wrong, but perhaps just to say, I may not understand, I don't need to understand, but God is good, God is sovereign, and I'm going to leave this with him and really trust him with it. I think uh, you made that point really well in, a, in another article where you're asking if God's sovereign, is he also good? Um, and, and so you've got to hold his sovereignty with his goodness, and, and my wife and I greatly appreciated that. So, yeah, we're just thankful well, for the yeah. counsel you are giving um, and the guidance. In the very early days, we just really had to fall back on what we knew to be true about God. And we knew there would be a battle within our hearts and within our minds, or there could be a battle within our hearts and our minds to say, what is true? And then what is going to lead the way? Are we going to subject um, what we know to our emotions, so put emotions first, and then interpret what we thought was true of God through our emotions? Or are we going to do the opposite? Are we going to say, no, this is what we know to be true about God? And now we're going to subject our emotions to truth. And um, in the early days, we really just focused on the fact that we know God is good. God didn't stop being good in this situation. We know God is sovereign. That, that um, Like I said before, nobody else had their will made known through this. This was God's will. And so when we held those two things together, we could say, okay, well, we know God is good. He's not out to harm us, not out to, to break us through this. Um, he hasn't stopped loving us and caring for us. And uh, so we, we've really focused on how God is good and just chose to trust that his goodness was somehow expressed 
even through our lives. The one thing we've we've said a lot is that the one person we know doesn't contest God's goodness in this is Nick. He he gets to see God face to face, and he's the one person who, more than any, says this is this is good and this is right, no doubt at all. That's such a rich uh, way to look at things in a perspective mm. that perhaps was gained through time. I'm sure mourning uh, the loss of your son and and then eventually like going down into the darkest of valley talk to people who you know they may be facing something in their life where whether it's um you know a health condition that they have for life or the loss of something that they're experiencing obviously you know here on earth your son is gone for the remainder of your life uh heaven's glory uh, will reunite you uh, with him but while we're here on earth can you talk to those who may be feeling like god has abandoned them like god doesn't love them and they're feeling quite hopeless um, can you talk to those people for a moment what would you say to them i'm sure the book has a lot to say to them um, yeah in the almost right away we realized we would have to separate two things which is why god did it from how god is using it and one of those things we thought we'll never figure out why god chose to do this we might have conjecture we might you know have some idea but we can't know why god chose to act in this way we can't know the mind of god we can know God is good. We can know he's powerful, these things we've talked about. But we can't know his purposes, and God doesn't make those known to us. So we just didn't think there would be any great purpose in, in focusing on that. Um, but what we could focus on was how God was using it. And uh, we found just a lot more joy in that. So let's, and, and then not, let's not conflate them. So let's not say, look, this person got saved after hearing Nick's story. So that must be why God did it. Or, um, I'm growing as a Christian through this. I see how God is using this in my life to mature me and make me more compassionate. But that, that might be why God did it, but I, I don't know. I can't know that. And so knowing that both of those things are true, but then not saying that they're, they're connected in such a way that God took Nick away so that these other things could happen. I think we can really harm ourselves when we think, when you draw those lines too clearly and too boldly between why God expressed his sovereignty in this way and, and the results of it. And so I would say to those who are going through a time of, of, of darkness, a time of suffering, a time of sorrow, I don't think you, you usually know why God is, is doing it, um, why God has chosen this for you. But what you can focus on is how God is using it and then what God's calling you to do through it. God doesn't put us through a time of suffering so we can come out the other side worse than we were or more hardened against him than before or less kind to people god means to shape us and mold us and form our character and cause us to serve him better and love other people better through this and i've really seen suffering as something that i put in the category of stewardship that god has entrusted this to me he's entrusted to me the loss the, the deepest loss i've known so what am I going to do with it? Am I going to rage against God? Am I going to become embittered? Am I going to become hopeless and live my life in despair? Or am I going to accept this from God and say, I don't know what you, why you've done this, but I trust you with it, and now I'm going to serve you with it. 
And I found just such joy now saying, okay, I'm going to turn this outward now in, in love for God and, and care for his people. That's such a helpful answer. Thank you so much, Tim. You just mentioned there someone got saved when they heard Nick's story. Was that just a, a thing you threw out or was that an actual thing? Somebody heard what happened and... Yeah, no, there's there's been a, at least a couple of people who have had, if not salvation experiences, something close to it, very profound spiritual experiences, just as they contemplated a young man, just his life ending in an instant, or as they've heard some of his story or just heard people speak about him. So the Lord's used it in those ways, which is which is a blessing and in, in many other ways as well. We're, we're really thankful for that. But again, we just want to be so careful that we don't now say, well, this must be why God did it. Because yeah. to be honest, I'm not sure I'd make that trade, right? If God said, here, I'm going to take your son. Um, here's how I'm going to use it. Is that okay with you? Uh, I, I don't trust myself to, to take that on and say, oh, yeah, easy trade. You, you go ahead and do that. Um, so I just don't think it's helpful to follow down those those pathways. Hey, and what's the, what can people expect from the content of your book there? What What type of book is it? Is it... Is it theological? Is it um, how would it? Is it there to help people going through tough things? How would you how would you describe the content of your, your book? Yeah, it's a book that was written in real time. So it begins the night that Nick died. We were on a plane flying south from Canada to the United States to go and be with my daughter, who was there when when Nick died, and uh, just to be together as a family, to be with Nick's fiance, who was there as well. And I just started writing when when I was in the plane. I didn't. I wasn't writing a book at that time. I was just writing because writing is the way I think, the way I process things. I can't really think without writing my thoughts down. And so I just started writing. And then over the course of that first year, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. Wrote my my sorrows, wrote my doubts, wrote my praises, wrote my laments. All of these. And so the book is framed around the four seasons that came um, after Nick died. And so there's the progression through the year, and it's just my real-time thoughts throughout the year leading up to the first anniversary of Nick's death, contemplating what had happened and um, the, the goodness, the love of God in it, and uh, just how I, as a, a father, was processing this. So I hope it's helpful for people who have gone through the loss of a child, but also people who are just going through any kind of sorrow and suffering. There's so much that's in common. Uh, in every form of suffering, whether that's illness, whether that's loss, whether that's uh, anything, really. Hey, well, Tim, you've been uh, writing for a number of years. Um, what what got you started when you think back earlier on when you were younger? How did you end up uh, in the way you are, the website, um, the blog, writing books? Um, what was uh, what were you like when you were younger in terms of yeah how, how this all got underway and became what it is now? Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time now. Um, I started blogging around 20 years ago and I've been doing it on a daily basis for about 19 years now, mm. um, which means one of my children has never known a day I haven't blogged, which is oh, funny wow. to think about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I got into it sort of inadvertently. I was um, just in a church where I had to think a lot about what was going on within the life of the church. There was a lot of programs they were adopting, a lot of theology they were teaching. I didn't really, like with my sorrows, I didn't really know what to do but to write about it. And so writing was my external processing of what was going on. And then as I started making it public through this brand new medium back then called a blog, other people started reading it and um, eventually it sort of caught on in its own way and grew up from there. And so it's become uh, 
a vocation. It's become something, it's become a passion, something I really love to do. And the books followed along as well. Sorry, Siri's barking at me. Uh, it's the books have followed as well, and I've really enjoyed doing them. Uh, blogging is still the main thing, though, the main day-by-day thing that gets me up in the morning and uh, keeps me going. Yeah, good stuff. It's been such an encouragement over the years. I think of how many articles and um, the like that you've written, um, so addressing things as they've happened in real time. I still remember the article that you wrote um, when I was at seminary when there was a whole bunch of stuff going on with Mark Driscoll and the like and uh, people weren't listening to Dr. MacArthur and you, you wrote an article about we need to listen to, to John MacArthur and I really uh, respected you for that. Um, that, that, was, that was real timely. And you've always just written so timely. Speaking of timely, um, you know, your book arrives obviously it's very timely it was amazing to hear that it was written in real time and you began to write it when you did when um timely in the sense that there is always a season uh, of sorrow and it sounds like you certainly went to a place of despair rightly so we always would when we would lose a child it also sounds like God gave you much grace in that suffering, and he gives us suffering grace. What would you say to those who go into a almost a spiritual depression? I've been reading Lloyd-Jones's book on spiritual depression, and he makes a remark in there that's quite, um, it's quite simple yet profound, that the cure to spiritual depression is to focus on our justification, not so much our sanctification. And I think... When we're going through times of sorrow, we can ask the question, does God love me? And I know Romans chapter 8 and the like tells us, if you want to know that God loves you, it's the sending of his son to die for you. Um, What would you say to people who go into a sort of spiritual depression that they're not, they hear all these things that you're saying, but they're not actually, I know time and the like will help but those that go down into a dark place and they they spiral down and they're finding it hard to to get that clarity to to come back up out of that uh, i remember being at a conference i think it was one of the together for the gospels years ago when macarthur and piper were paired up on stage to talk about depression and piper described this long many long periods in his life where he's bottomed out and just been woefully depressed and macarthur just said never been depressed a day in my life and uh, I love that you know we're so different from one another that uh, what some people really struggle with others never will and neither one is right or wrong right we're just we're all made with different strengths and weaknesses Um, I would tend a little bit more toward the MacArthur side on that I'm not naturally prone to that kind of spiritual depression and even through this loss I don't think I I, I grieved I wept I, I sorrowed but I don't know that I ever um, found myself in a, in a place I describe as depressed or really despondent. There was always hope and always just a, a sense of, of God's goodness in it and God's sovereignty in it. So um, I think it really taught me the importance of getting your theology right before you go into a time of suffering. And so if things are going pretty well in life right now, 
this is the time to equip yourself. You know, you train your military before somebody invades your country so they're ready to go. That's uh, so why you have a standing army. And I think we need to be equipping ourselves in the good times. So when the bad comes, we're, we're right. we don't want to be trying to figure out, is God good after we've suffered a loss? We don't want to be figuring out, is God sovereign when we've experienced a deep loss? That's the wrong time to do it. So getting our theology in place and then falling back on that theology in those times where we're tempted toward despondency or we really find ourselves, um, you know, struggling with things and we can fall back on those truths we know the truths of our justification the truths of who we are in christ matters of identity all of that but if you go into a time of suffering and sorrow poorly equipped um, i think that's often where we not always but it's often where we can really find ourselves struggling in ways we didn't have to if we did equip ourselves a little bit more thoroughly did you find there were people in your church that were a particular help and blessing to you. I'm, I'm thinking probably we're, we're pastors here. We're thinking, we, man, we have we bump into situations where people are really suffering and grieving, um, and and you know we can talk theologically. You know, God is sovereign; um, He's in control. You can trust Him; He's good. But what are some ways after going through such a tough time that people could practically help and help? How do you think is a way that we can help people like that um, that are going through such a loss? It's it, it feels it's awkward, you know. You you want to step towards them and help. You you want to give them some space. Yeah. What what are some helpful things? Do you think? Yeah. Contextually, um, Nick's death came in the relatively early days of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and so we had just traveled internationally. We had gone down to. Uh, Kentucky to to see him or to you know, be with our daughter and um, to do a little memorial service there. We flew back and were immediately into two weeks of in-home quarantine, nobody allowed on the property, etc. So uh, the church served us, but in, in ways that were um, distant necessarily. Um, so, you know, I think one of the most helpful things was close friends who said, we'd like to meet with you every two weeks for the, ne for the next few months and just ask how you're doing, just inquire the state of your heart and your soul. And that was really helpful, just to have those ongoing meetings, socially distanced at the time as we had to, or, um, but, you know, just people carving out that time. Um, just the, the, the normal week-by-week -week worship of the local church was so important to us it's such a means of discipleship just to be there doing the normal things um, rehearsing the gospel week by week through the the ebb and flow of a worship service through the lord's supper through the songs we sing was so important and then just people caring for our practical needs as well was was very helpful the meals the the care in that way but i do want to say um our neighbors who generally are not believers were equally helpful in caring for our practical needs as the church. So I think sometimes we as Christians pat ourselves on the back for serving so well when we're not doing Christian things, we're doing human things. Mm. We're just <laughs> caring for other people. And so, you know, I love the church that, I love the care the church extended to us, but it, it was equaled by the church, that, uh, the care the neighbors extended to us. And I was just so thankful to be embedded in a neighborhood and to um, see God's, God's general grace that goes out to all humanity um, see that enacted as well as people loved us and showed their care and concern for us. That was a real blessing, I think very meaningful to us in its own way. 
Tim, did you have some times of prayer where you saw the Lord really answer prayer and sweet times of communion with God through this time? We found initially we didn't really know what to do with God in a sense. Um, we, our relationship with the Lord changed through this, and I think necessarily so. Anytime, if anyone took one of your children away, I think that would change the nature of your relationship with them. Um, of course, when the person who does it has the right to, as God does, it doesn't mean it makes you angry with them, but it changes it. You know, we understood God to be powerful in a whole new way. And initially, we didn't, we didn't read, we didn't get a lot of benefit out of reading the Bible. They just, our, we couldn't focus our minds on it. And even prayer tended to be very, very cursory or something. It took a while before we could really relate to God again. That's not to say we weren't trusting in Him and depending upon Him, but for a time it was very, very hard. Um, but eventually, eventually we did again, um, you know, within weeks or a couple of months or something, we're, I think, back to our patterns of devotion again and really enjoying that relationship as it had been. Um, God did answer prayer a couple of times. I, I relate one experience in the book where it was the day um, it was the day Nick would have been married, and on that day we were just really brokenhearted, really mourning what should have been. You know, we loved his fiance, we still do. Uh, we were very much anticipating that day, looking forward to the day they'd be married, and then that day came, and of course, uh, no marriage, no wedding. And on that day we went to the cemetery, Aileen and I together, just to stand by the grave and honestly just to weep together, and. Um, I heard somebody speak my name and turned around and there was a couple there who uh, are Christians and had been reading the blog and told us their son was buried nearby and they had just come to the cemetery. They don't typically come on Saturdays, but they just felt that they should go to the cemetery that day and saw us and came over and just wanted to pray with us. And God just answered our, answered the prayers we maybe hadn't prayed or didn't know to pray. And yet, uh, Eileen's often said since then, that was the first time she just really understood that God was loving her through this. Just God's provision in that darkest moment. There were people to pray for us and sympathize with us, people who knew, knew the sorrow we were going through and just completely unexpected, not arranged except by God's providence. And it was just such a, a tremendous blessing to us. Thank you very much. That was that's wonderful. This has been... Um just wonderful to listen to and, and really helpful with for those who who haven't been through uh, a season of sorrow or, or something like that and you've, you've mentioned preparation is key um, but whether the the young or old uh, what is some counsel you would you would give to people to to practically prepare them to, to face these trials and, and these seasons of sorrow go to church and be in a church that loves the gospel loves the Lord and has substantial worship services. Just, uh, I'm doing a, a breakout session at uh, the Getty Music Sing Conference coming up and part of my preparation for that, I went to some of the, the online services of some of the biggest churches in America. And I think if I had spent my life in those churches, only learning from what their worship tells me and only, only learning from that, and then if I had to go to those services with my sorrow, I think I would have despaired. I just don't think there's there's much there that can really train us and serve us um, compared to a service where we're really dealing in needy matters. I'm not talking about 
two hour long expositional services. I'm talking about having calls to worship that just call us away from the cares of this life or this time of worship and where we confess our sins together and hear God's assurance of pardon and where pastors are modeling how to pray just through a pastoral prayer where we're hearing sound doctrine preached to us, where we're singing songs that have really profound truths. Our, our goal in worship isn't to shake the room and to lift the ceiling. Our, our goal in worship is to say what's true about God and um, to, to sing those songs repeatedly so they get down into our hearts. Uh, so go to a church where the worship is, is true, where the worship is the way God means for us to worship and you'll be equipping yourselves. And then I think just understand who God is, really come to firm convictions on the nature, the character of God. If you understand who God really is, then when God acts in ways that, that seem like, uh, that, that seems so hard, you can really trust God with those things. We have to know God in order to trust God. If you have very low knowledge of God, you're probably gonna have very low trust in God. But the more you come to know him, as he reveals himself in scripture and as there's so many treasures in the in the Christian church to explore who God is, um, he will absolutely, that, then you'll be able to draw upon that in your times of sorrow and just really, really rely on him and trust in him. So I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I grew up in church traditions where I was taught catechisms, taught truth, hearing sermons, worshiping in meaningful ways. Then I just had all that to draw upon and to fall back upon in those times where I was just brokenhearted. That is so rich and so helpful. I think this is short and sweet and beautiful and poignant. And um, I think unless there's anything else you want to talk about, then you may have other questions. Oh, I've just got silly ones. But um, like uh, we, our youth group just recently watched your uh, epic uh, study. Um, and I was disappointed when you were in New Zealand. You didn't say that we had the best coffee uh, out of any place you've been. So, Do you? Oh, that hurts. That, I'm prepared for myself right now. All right, I was in Australia a few weeks ago, and the coffee there was appalling. Is your oh, that's coffee good better than Australian coffee? Haven't you been to Australia? What city were you in? I'm going to say yes. All right. I mean, I... I ended up buying a jar of instant coffee because it was better than the coffee I was being served in Australia. Was your, so, was your coffee at the church what's, or was it at a cafe? It was at cafes. Oh, no. That's what funded. city, Tim? Uh, we were in Sydney. We were up in Cairns. We were around. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. I was deeply disappointed. That explains it. You didn't, you weren't in... You weren't in Victoria, in Melbourne, where the real coffee is. Oh, is that where it is? Okay. Got it. I've got a Starbucks cup, but not because I like Star Starbucks. It's just the biggest one I could find. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, just just so we're clear. Sorry, Tim. Uh, you know, instead of Luther, that he, uh, he would throw away all his books, except for the Catechism and his Bondage of the Will. You've written a lot of things as well. What, what would yeah. be some gems things that are close to your heart that if, if a lot of it was thrown away and wasted what are what are some of the meaningful things that you've thought i've written and i'd love people to know those resources that that really expresses what i'd love people to know about yeah i think seasons of sorrow is the book i've been it it reflects the style of writing i've been wanting to write for a long time and i think it's the one that for obvious reasons is closest to my heart so um it's i think the favorite of what i've written so far 
And some of it has already appeared on the blog. There's parts of it that were drawn. You know, I've, I've released them as articles and then drew them into the book. So if you read some of the the things I wrote since November 2020, that would some of it would be familiar. There's a lot that's original as well. Um, but if you can get one thing, I would say get the book and read that, and then you'll find similar content on the blog. What I'm known for tend to be things like book reviews, but what I prefer to write are more meaningful reflections on Christian living. No, that's a high recommendation. That, that alone yeah. makes me want to pick that one up myself. Tim, thank you so much for joining us here on No Lasting City. This has been uh, a time, a special time, a time that I believe will minister to many saints around uh, our country, uh, our church, and those that tune in from around the world. The book, listeners, is released September 13. Um, Seasons of Sorrow by Tim Challies, available at challies.com and in all leading Christian bookstores. Tim, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast and may the Lord continue to bless you and continue to use you as he's done uh, for so many years now. Thank you. Really appreciate it. No Lasting City podcast is a ministry of Riverbend Bible Church in Hastings, New Zealand. For more information, please visit our website at riverbend.org.nz or visit us on YouTube. Follow us on social media where you can interact with us or ask us any questions. Our links are in the show notes and we'd love to see you there.